Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our God, our wisdom, our salvation. Amen. Well, for those of you who are, who are engaging in our year through the Bible, uh, that we began January 1st, we are right now getting toward the end of Deuteronomy, and we'll start the book of Joshua sometime this week. But the one thing you know if you've been reading is that we are up to our armpits in law. Lots of law. And by the way, lots of genealogy. And let's just admit that sometimes reading the genealogies in the Bible and sometimes getting into the weeds of the law and bylaws of Moses, that frankly, sometimes it's a cure for insomnia. And I will say that. You can cert- I got a couple thumbs up. You can certainly say that all the Bible is Scripture, all the Bible is God's Word, but also say some some parts of Scripture are just more interesting than others. That has a lot to do with our own culture. It has a lot to do with what we're exposed to. I remember many, many years ago when I was just a young pastor, I think I was still in seminary, talking to a missionary, a retired missionary, who had spent several years in Eastern cultures And we were actually talking about this very thing. And he said to me, one of the things that surprised him when he went as a missionary to some of these Eastern cultures, they just loved the genealogies in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. What we tend to find very uninteresting, all right, we got a chapter of genealogies, let's just skip over that and get to the stories, right? What we found not very interesting, this material mattered to them. And it mattered to them because they said, we want to know who Moses really is, and we can't know who Moses is if we do not know who his ancestors were. We want to know his family, his clan, his tribe. Because who Moses is, is, in our case was, but who Moses is cannot be understood apart from where Moses came from. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And so some of these passages we don't find very interesting at times. Others read them with great curiosity. And I think the same thing is true sometimes when we read this material 
in the law as we go through it. It's not that it's all uninteresting. We got the Ten Commandments, as we as were just read this morning, and, and, and uh, those ten, ten Commandments are important and they're critical. But you know, when you start getting into all kinds of laws like, you know, don't mix certain kinds of material in your clothing, don't, you know, have your ox and your donkey yoked together when you're plowing, When we get those kinds of bylaws, we'll call them, sometimes it gets a little tedious. Now, if you have a background in law and law has always interested you, that may not be the case. Good thing we got folks who are interested in law because we need that. But for a lot of people, you know, the parables of Jesus, frankly, are just a little more interesting. Maybe we can relate to them a little better. But here's the point. Whether it's interesting or not, we need law. we got to have it. We know that on a very basic uh, level, don't we, in our society. What would happen if there were no laws? What would happen if there were no judges to adjudicate? What would happen if there was nobody to enforce these laws? What would happen to the order of society? And so law is necessary. And God knew that. God knew that God's people coming out of Egypt were going to need law. They're going to need order. And so right from the beginning, as they leave Egypt, when we go through the Sinai, we re God starts giving them laws. Give them the Ten Commandments, that's the basic, that's the foundation, that's the law. All this other stuff are bylaws. In fact, that's what the ancient rabbis did. They went and they counted up all the bylaws uh, from, from uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy, and they basically said, the Ten Commandments are the law, and everything after that is bylaw. And there's 613 of them. The rabbis counted them for us. Thank God for the rabbis. <laughs> they counted all 613 and they said, this is bylaw. In other words, every single law we read in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Exodus somehow plugs into one of those Ten Commandments in some way. And God knows we need boundaries. We human beings need boundaries. We know that in raising children. Children need boundaries because children don't know what's right or wrong. They learn it from parents. They learn it from watching. And of course, as children get older, right, particularly teenagers, they sometimes can rebel against the, the laws of the parental house, right? Curfew's too early. I've got friends who are still out at one in the morning. Okay. But you don't live with your friends. You live here. Why can't I have money to buy that thing? Well, because you've already got plenty. And so... We know that parenthood helps children to learn the boundaries. And as Psalm 19 says, we read part of it for the call to worship, but 
Psalm 19, the psalmist goes in and says, the law is not burdensome. Oh, it may, it may at times require extraordinary behavior to keep depending on the circumstances. But the law of the Lord, as the psalmist says, is the delight of the soul because we need boundaries. Israel needed boundaries. They had to be, re, they had to be told over and over and over again. Boy, when you go through Genesis through Deuteronomy, this theme is just over and over again, and you read it and read it and read it, and you say, I've read this at least 13 times. You will worship no other gods. I'm it. And why does God continue to remind the people of that? Because human beings, we are prone to worship false gods. And it doesn't have to be stone or wood idols. We can worship other people. We can worship our hobbies. We can worship stuff. I remember listening a few years ago to Richard Dawkins. You may know that name. He's well known. He's an atheist, teaches at Oxford University. And basically his, his thesis was that as we human beings become more advanced and as we learn more and we become more sophisticated, we no longer have need to worship a deity. We realize that our natural state is not worship of someone or something we can't see. I disagree strongly. If there's anything we human beings have proven throughout history, it's not that we, our natural state is not worshiping. In fact, our natural state is worshiping. We human beings have shown we'll worship anything. We seem to be natural idolaters. <laughs> and so if we don't worship God, we'll find something to give our devotion to. And so there's this constant reminder, this boundary to the people, no, you shall not do that. And what precisely happens as we move through the Old Testament? That's exactly what the people do. <laughs> They're always worshiping something other or someone other than the God of Israel. And so these boundaries are continued, they're, they're emphasized because we just as human beings are forgetful and we just step over things all the time. We step over these good boundaries. And so God gives to us the boundaries for our own sake, for our own well-being, for our own welfare, not only for me as an individual, but for us as a community. The problem is, is we human beings not only can step over the boundaries, we also move them. Sometimes we draw the boundaries too tightly 
and the boundaries become, law, become walls. Sometimes the boundaries are too loose where there's not even a line that you know you've crossed over. We human beings being struggle to know where to draw the lines at times and where not to draw the line. Part of that is because you, if you notice, if you, when you go through Genesis through Deuteronomy, Moses, or, or God gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai, and as the people come close to getting into Canaan, the promised land, you get the book of Deuteronomy that actually revises some of these bylaws. So the Ten Commandments remain in force, but some of the bylaws are revised. Why? Because even God knows that circumstances change. It's one thing to be in the Sinai Desert. It's another thing then to be in the Promised Land, in your own land, and establish towns and villages. And so God knows that there are some revisions that have to be made. That's just the way it works. We do this today in the law, right? We all know we have a First Amendment right to freedom of speech, but how does that apply to Twitter and Facebook? And how does that apply in, in, in uh, other circumstances that technology has given us that we didn't even think about 50, 60 years ago? So you don't get rid of the First Amendment, but you got to say, all right, what do we do in this case? We've never encountered this before. This is what happens. And the one thing about Jesus when it comes to the law, and I, I reject uh, the idea that's been popular in certain strands of Protestantism, is that the Old Testament is about law and Jesus is about grace. The Old Testament is about an angry God. The New Testament's about a loving God. Those distinctions are too simplistic, way too simplistic. In fact, when you read the Gospels, Jesus cares greatly about the law But where Jesus gets into trouble with the religious leaders is that the religious leaders see the law as an end in and of itself, and Jesus sees it as a means to an end. Jesus wants to get behind the spirit of the law. And so Jesus will say really, really difficult things like, do you realize you don't have to be guilty, you don't have to have committed murder to be guilty of it? that all you really need to do is wish that person were dead, and that's the same in God's eyes as doing the deed. <laughs> and so Jesus wants to get behind the spirit of the law and what it means. And so Jesus would never have accepted, ever, the justification for bad behavior by saying it's all perfectly legal. Jesus would have rejected that out of hand. Jesus knew well that while the law rules give us boundaries that we need, once those boundaries become the focus in and of themselves, we lose the point of the law. Jesus gets accused of breaking the Sabbath by healing people. Here is the Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of recreation, a day to be reminded of the good gifts of God. And so Jesus heals, and he gets accused of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you know, guys, 
If your donkey falls in a well on Sabbath, you don't say, poor creature, we're going to have to wait till tomorrow. No. What you do is you get your friends and you pull that donkey out of the Sabbath. In fact, even in the rabbinic writings, the question is, what is acceptable to do on the Sabbath? The answer is, if it can't wait till tomorrow, you can do it. And so here is Sabbath, a day of recreation, a day of receiving the good gifts of God. What better day for Jesus to heal? What better day for Jesus to restore? What better day for Jesus to offer new creation than on the Sabbath? But once you get the idea that that rule, you will not break the Sabbath, you will keep the Sabbath. Once that rule becomes the end and not a means to an end, you end up with legalism. And Jesus was interested in the law that God gave for the flourishing of God's people. And so Jesus warns the religious leaders, you do all these little things, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, you do all these things, but you neglect the more important and the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So what do we do with this? What we do with it is that we understand that God gives us boundaries and that we need boundaries and we need, we need discipline. You know, uh, uh, right at the beginning uh, of the American Revolution, when uh, a bunch of uh, uh, young men and older men had volunteered to fight for the revolutionary forces and they were all gathered together in camp and here comes General Washington and he rides into camp and he looks at this band of farmers and small town shopkeepers and he, he sees the complete lack of discipline. The complete lack of discipline. He's appalled <laughs> because he knows that unless he has a disciplined army, he certainly isn't going to have a fighting army, much less a winning one. And it's not just lack of discipline in reference to not being able to, 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 to fight. They're farmers. They're shopkeepers. They, you know, they can grow you an acre of grain really well, but that doesn't mean that, that they're going to do well in the front line of battle. It's not just the battle. It's that the, the, just the lack of hygiene and sanitary conditions and everything that is just undisciplined. And Washington just thinks to himself, what am I going to do? But over time, with his leadership and the help of others who come in, over time, through discipline, that ragtag bunch of farmers and shopkeepers and small-town lawyers, they become an army. Pretty good army at that. And so in this road to discipleship, this road to becoming like Jesus, this road to moving toward the perfection God has in mind for us, we know that it requires discipline. We know that it requires drawing boundaries, sometimes closer than others and sometimes wider. It's not always easy to know. But one thing that the New Testament is convinced of is that 
we as the followers of Jesus have the Spirit for guidance. That doesn't mean we're supposed to go back to the law of the Old Testament and keep it in all of its fine points. When we build a house, we don't have to put a fence around the roof anymore. We don't have to practice kosher laws anymore. But what it does mean is that just because God has come to Jesus Christ and offered this grace upon grace doesn't make law boundaries obsolete. Grace should never be used as a license to do whatever we want. God has saved me by grace, I'm good. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't mean I get to do what I want. God's grace, particularly in our Wesleyan tradition with John Wesley, God's grace is transforming. God gives us God's grace and things change. Oh, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. By the way, it's another thing that we see as we go through the Bible, that how the relationship we have with God is always talked about as a journey. It's a work in progress. And so here we are in this season of Lent, on this journey of Lent once again. And just like God had to continually remind the people of Israel about the laws and about what they should and should not do, and how many times God had to say, you can't worship other gods, you can't steal. No matter how many times God said that, they needed it because we human beings need to be reminded. Which is why here we are in 2021 at this time of the year, once again observing Lent. Even though we did it last year, even though we did it, well, last year with all kinds of interesting restrictions. <laughs> we did it the year before and the year before that. And some of us have observed Lent for decades. But we don't ever come to a year where we say, okay, I think I've done that, I got that down. I've been doing Lent for 35 years, I, I, I think I'm pretty good. Don't think I need to do that any longer. No, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of who we are as God's people and what God requires of us. I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. The reason is I got to keep doing this. I'm forgetful. I can forget who I am and who I belong to and what my purpose is in this life unless I have things like Lent and other practices to remind me. Thank God for that gift of memory and remembering so that we can know who we are, and whose we are. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are grateful for boundaries. We are grateful for the laws that you give to us. Forgive us for when we have not kept the boundaries or perhaps at times when we've distorted the law, when we have turned your law into an end in and of itself instead of a means to an end in order to offer justice and mercy and faithfulness. Help us in this season of Lent not to just see it as another legal hoop to jump through in the church year, 
but as a way once again to be reminded of who we are and who you are so that we may in this season once again rend our hearts and claim the promise in Jesus' name.